Hey, good morning, First Baptist Church. How's everybody doing? Super excited to be here this morning. Before we get into our text, it's going to be Matthew 4, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. But before we start, I want to tell you guys a little story, a news headline that I found back in January. By a show of hands, how many of you love a good fishing story? How many of you have a good fishing story? There's even more hands up now. All right, you have a great fishing story. Awesome. I do too, and I'm going to share a personal one a little bit later on. But let me tell you about this fishing story. I want to introduce you to Captain Jason Boyle. He is a, a charter boat captain down on the Florida coast. And in January, uh, Captain Jason uh, was taking people out fishing. He went out 20 days, 20 days straight, and he didn't catch anything. But little did he know, on day number 20, he was in for a treat. He set out like he normally would, and he landed the big one. Here's Captain Jason Boyle up on the screen, standing next to a 350-pound Warsaw grouper. Now, that is not the record for the largest grouper ever caught, but this is the oldest grouper ever caught on record. That grouper is almost double my age. That is a 50-year-old estimated aged grouper. That is an incredible catch. We love fishing stories. And in Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 20, we see this. We see that Jesus actually invites us to be part of history's greatest fishing story. It's even better than the one that we're looking up on the screen. I know that may be hard to believe, but it is my prayer for each of you this morning that the Lord reveals to you that you are actually invited to be part of the world's greatest fishing story. So let's see what the text says. This is the Word of God, Matthew 4, 18 to 20. This is Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. He saw Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Fishers of men. We're going to dig into what that actually meant. What did Jesus mean when he said, I will make you fishers of men? Let me give you a little background information about Jewish history. Back in Jewish days, about 2,000 years ago, the hope for every Jewish parent was that their sons would grow up to be somebody. And, and honestly, it's, it's very similar to The hope of parents for their sons and their daughters today. We want our kids to grow up to be somebody. And typically in our society, the way that being somebody is often qualified has to do with our careers. It has to do with the titles that we hold or letters that we get to put after our name or our signature. It has to do with how much money we have in a bank account or how much money we we get to show off to other people. But in Jewish society, being somebody was not qualified off of those things. What qualified you as being somebody was based upon who 
invited you to follow them? Who was extending you an invitation to follow them? See, boys in Jewish days would would train themselves up in the knowledge of, of the Hebrew scriptures. They would memorize them. They would practice preaching them. They would spend their time in the temple. And similar to you and I, how we grew up idolizing famous music stars or famous athletes, these little Jewish boys would see rabbis or Jewish teachers walking in the street, interacting, teaching, drawing crowds, and they would idolize them. They would say, when I grow up, I want to be like that one. Or I want to be like that one when I grow up. And they would get to a certain age after training themselves up in the knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures, and they would actually approach one of the rabbis who they were idolizing, and they would ask them the question. And here was the question, essentially, is this. Can I be like you? Am I good enough to follow you? And when they would ask this question, the rabbis would kind of step back and they would size up this would-be follower. They would test them. They would make them recite the scriptures to them. Were they good enough to follow? And they were awaiting these two prized words. The two prized words were follow me. Follow me. But Simon and Andrew, the scripture tells us, were fishermen. And they were fishermen because they just didn't make the cut. They were Jewish. They would have grown up reciting the scriptures. They would have grown up idolizing certain rabbis or Jewish teachers. And they would have asked if they were good enough to follow certain rabbis. They were fishermen. They didn't make the the cut. In fact, the scriptures say that Jesus saw them and they were casting their nets into the sea. Right? The, the history tells us that, that Jewish fishermen, they would spend most of their lives with a net in their hand, either casting it or mending it, fixing it. And the reality is that these nets in their hands would have been a constant reminder that they just weren't good enough. These nets in their hands would have been a reminder that at some point life just didn't go according to their plan. They would have been a constant reminder of the disappointments that life often throws at us. So my first point for you guys tonight is this, is that our disappointments often point to a greater desire. They point to our greatest Desires. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And maybe you, today, maybe you're facing one of life's great disappointments. Maybe it's that you just can't catch a break at work, that you are just working your tail off, but you have that boss. And you know the boss that I'm talking about. The one who, oh my gosh, you, just, you can't do anything right. And you feel like you're grinding, you feel like you're working hard, and you got the report together, and he sends it back. Or she sends it back. Maybe you're a student, and this was your year. Remember back in August, you were excited to start school, and you thought, this was my year. This is going to be the year where I make the best grades. This is going to be the year where I make the most friends. But it's March. And I don't know what your year has been like, 
but it didn't go according to your plan. Maybe you're a grandparent or a parent, and you just you, you raised your kid at First Baptist Rock Hill. They made a decision to follow Jesus at a young age, but right now they're just not in church. And it is just grieving you, and you're on your knees day in and day out praying that they would come home to Jesus. Maybe it's an ailment. Maybe it's a dreaded diagnosis. Maybe it's a hurt from your past. Maybe it's an addiction that you have. I don't know, but I know that our disappointments are pointing to something greater, pointing to our need for something greater. But we need to be careful when we face life's disappointments because so often when we're facing life's disappointments, whether it's the prodigal child or whether it's the boss at work, we often allow our disappointments to rule over us. We let them rule over us. They become the only thing that we're able to think about. We wake up and boom, there it is. We're tempted to give them a throne in our life. I love what Billy Graham says about life's disappointments. He says this. He says, repeated disappointment almost always triggers a series of other reactions. Discouragement, Anger, bitterness, resentment, even depression. Unless we learn to deal with disappointment, it will rid us of joy and poison our souls. See, these disappointments that we face in life, they're actually pointing us to something greater. They're actually revealing a desire within us. That's greater than the disappointment itself. What are these desires? Life's greatest desires, to be known, right? We all want to be known. We have a desire to be somebody. We have a desire to be loved. And we have a desire to have a purpose in life. And I know, I know that facing disappointment is difficult. And I don't, I don't want to make light of that this morning because some of you are facing very real disappointment today and maybe you're here and you're just caught in that downward spiral of emotion that Billy Graham talks about and you feel like you've just tried everything to get out of it you've tried to change your habits you've opened up in a way that was just really vulnerable and uncomfortable in your d group but you did it you went there you shared the thing that you're really struggling with Heck, maybe you've even tried counseling, but for some reason, you just feel stuck. What if, what if the disappointment that you're facing has actually been given to you as a reminder that you have desires that life itself just cannot satisfy? But Jesus, Jesus satisfies our greatest desire. Whatever it is, Jesus satisfies your greatest desire. Verse 19, he says this, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus satisfies our greatest desire and he does this in two ways. Jesus satisfies our greatest desires in two ways. The first way is this, is with an invitation to follow him. 
Jesus satisfies your greatest desire and my greatest desire by extending us an invitation to follow him. Think about this. What we see in the scriptures is so contrary to the way things that were done to the way that things were done 2000 years ago. Remember, in, in in ancient Jewish times, it was the mentee who would approach the mentor. It was the student who would approach the teacher and say, "Am I good enough to follow you?" But in the scriptures, we see Jesus doing just the opposite. We see Jesus approaching those whom society and those whom religion deemed not good enough. We see him approaching the rejects of Jewish society and inviting them to follow him. This is amazing. Do you feel like you're just not good enough? Do you feel like... Uh, up until now, your life has been underwhelming and overly disappointing. But maybe now, maybe even for the first time, you are beginning to realize that there's this desire deep within your soul that life just cannot satisfy. You may even feel utterly disconnected from God. But if that's you, there is good news for you. There is good news for you. And the good news is this. The good news is that Jesus invites you. He invites each of us to follow him, regardless of what hurt we have in the past, regardless of what our current station of life says about us, and regardless of the countless ways that we're going to screw up in the future, Jesus invites us to follow him. How did he do it? See, Jesus saw us in our brokenness. Jesus saw us in our hurt. Jesus saw us with our disappointment, and he actually stepped into the plane of history to do something about it. That's good news, that Jesus didn't leave us in our hurt, that Jesus didn't leave us in our disappointment, that he offers us this invitation to follow him is good news. See, he stepped into the plane of history. He lived a life of obedience and relationship to God, one that you and I were supposed to live, but just couldn't. So he lived a perfect and holy life. Yet in history's greatest display of love, Jesus laid his life down at the hands of sinners like you and me. And it sounds like a sad story, right? He took the nails and he took the thorn. We just the thorns. We just sang a song about it, and he was hung on a cross. And he was killed. But three days later, Jesus rose victoriously over sin and death. And it's by that resurrection power that Jesus invites each of us to follow him. Each of us. No matter what we've done in the past. No matter what our station of life says about us. And no matter how we're going to mess up in the future. Jesus satisfies our greatest desire first with an invitation to follow him and second with a promise to change us. See, Jesus just doesn't want us to follow him from afar. Jesus wants us to follow him so closely behind that he can actually change us. 
Jesus doesn't want you to stay the way that you are. Hear me. You can go to Jesus just as you are. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why it's good news. You don't need to clean yourself up. But once you go to Jesus, he wants you to follow so closely behind him that he can actually change you. He wants to make you a fisher of men. Fisher of men. This is kind of an odd term, especially if you didn't grow up in church. Honestly, many of us did grow up in church, and we still don't fully understand what this means. Fisher of men, such an odd term. Let's talk about what Jesus meant. But first, I'm going to tell you a story which will make it very clear about what Jesus did not mean. Many of you know my brother-in-law. His name is Stephen Hogg. He grew up at this church. He's Pastor Steve's son. And about five years ago, Stephen and I went fishing out on Lake Murray. And I don't know how well you know Stephen, but let me tell you something about me. I'm not an outdoorsman. I'm a Yankee living in the South. By the way, I'm also a Gamecock fan. I don't want to offend many of you today who are Clemson fans. But, okay, I I don't know if you're clapping for Clemson or Carolina, but I appreciate it. Anyway, (laughs) I'm not an outdoorsman. What I've learned is that in the South, there are um, men and some women who are outdoorsmen or outdoors women, and you love being on the water and you love being on the woods and your refrigerator and your freezers are stocked with the meat that you actually killed That just blows my mind. That didn't happen where I grew up. But five years ago, we went fishing out on Lake Murray. And I had my line in, right? And I got a bite. And if you've ever been fishing before, you know that there is nothing like that feeling of getting a bite. Seeing the bobber go under the water, seeing the rod curve, and just wham, set the hook. I reeled in. I get it. It's a catfish. Okay? And it was this big. It was, it was the biggest catfish you have ever seen in your life. But then I realized there was a problem. And the problem was I had to figure out how to get that lure out of the throat of this catfish. Because catfish swallow everything. And so I'm doing the thing, I'm trying to, trying to get it out, right? And I, I, I tried the pliers, and then I just tried my hand. And before you know it, there was this moment where Stephen was holding the rod, and the fishing lure literally went through my thumb. And in that moment, my brother-in-law, Stephen Hogg, was a fisher of men. That is not what Jesus meant when he called each of us to be fishers of men. I just wanted to be clear about that. But what did Jesus actually mean? Jesus was talking to common people. They were fishermen. Common people with a common profession. Speaking in simple language that they would understand. And here's what he meant. Your purpose will change. You'll use what you're good at for my mission and for my glory. Your purposes will change. I will make you not fishers of fish, but fishers of men. So maybe you're here today and you're a medical professional and you love Jesus. Here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to change your purpose. He says this, he says, I know that you help heal people and I want you to continue doing that right where I have you, but I want you to start sharing a message 
that doesn't just heal bodily ailments, but heals the biggest problem that man and woman can ever have. Perhaps you're here and you are a truck driver. Jesus knows that you deliver packages for a living, but he wants you to deliver something greater. He wants you to deliver the message of life through Jesus. Maybe you're here and and you're an engineer by trade. And you design buildings and you build bridges doing things that engineers do. My dad was an engineer and I still don't understand all that he did. But I know that if you're an engineer and you build bridges, Jesus wants you to be the best bridge builder that you could possibly be. But he also wants you to build bridges between those who are disconnected from God and him. Jesus wants you to be a fisher of men. He wants to change your purpose Jesus satisfies our greatest desire first with an invitation to follow him and second with a promise that he'll change us. Do you know that I'm here because somebody saw themselves as a fisher of men? That a decade ago I was utterly disconnected from God. And there was a girl in my high school who invited my sister, who happened to marry Stephen Hogg, invited my sister to a Christian camp. My sister comes to know Jesus at this camp, and then my sister puts her line in the water. She starts sharing the message of hope with me. And I push her away. I don't want to hear it. She probably thought I was too far gone. She could have given up to me, but she got on her knees, and she began to pray and pray and pray, Lord, save him. Lord, I want my brother to know Jesus. Lord, send somebody else to reach him. And then a few years later, my senior year of high school, as I was spending that year in literally a drunken stupor, an unlikely classmate of mine shares the gospel in our English class. And for some reason, the Lord used that to get my attention. He he sends me to college at the University of South Carolina. And the first people I meet on campus are are from the church that I'm serving on staff now. I'm discipled at this church. I develop a heart for places like my hometown with deep Roman Catholic roots where there's not a lot of churches. And now, in partnership with churches like First Baptist Rock Hill, we are actually moving to Pittsburgh this July to start a new church. This is what happens when we fish for men. And it's not our power. It's the power of God. Because one person fished for my sister who fished for me, who prayed, and the local church did their job in partnership, and we're getting to start Steel City Church in a city where there's one church for every 42,000 people, a city that's the third largest Catholic diocese in America, New York, Boston, Pittsburgh, yet by 2023, two-thirds of the Catholic churches in Pittsburgh will close. This is what happens when we fish for men in the power of Jesus. And you say, well, I'm not, I'm not moving to Pittsburgh. I'm not a church planner. I'm not a pastor. Jesus wants to change your purpose right where you are. The beauty of fishing for men is you don't have to go anywhere except across the street. And let me tell you, there is nothing more adventurous. There is nothing more purposeful than following Jesus, letting him change you, and helping as many people as possible follow him with you. I love this quote about fishing. It says, the charm of fishing 
This is Larry Robertson. He's an amateur fisherman, which means he's about as good as I am at fishing. But here's what he says. This is an insightful quote. He says, the charm of fishing is that it is the pursuit of what is elusive but attainable. It's a perpetual series of occasions for hope. And you might be thinking, but Billy, you, you don't know my brother. You don't know my boss. You don't know my neighbor. He doesn't want to hear it. He'd never come to First Baptist Rock Hill. And you might be right if you're relying on your strength. Did you know on average it takes a person 12 times to hear the gospel before they repent and put their faith in Jesus? What if the next time you talk to your boss, your son, your daughter, your parent, your neighbor, what if the next time you talk to them is number 12? And what if a decade from now, they might be the one that First Baptist Rock Hill is sending out to go and plant a church? Fishing for men and women at times seems elusive, but with Jesus, we could be like Captain Jason Boyle, and we might actually catch the big one. But if we don't follow him now, then when will we do it? Verse 20. Jesus extends the invitation, and the response is amazing. Immediately. Immediately, Simon and Andrew left their nets to follow Jesus. We rationalize this, like we we rationalize the ease of the decision that Simon and Andrew had to make. Well, of course it was easy. They're in the Bible. They did everything perfectly. No, they left their livelihood. They left their business. They left their job. They left what was comfortable what was familiar to them, they left it to follow this rabbi that they probably barely knew, who said, follow me. They left their nets immediately to follow him. They would have had the same questions that you and I have. What's it going to cost me to follow Jesus? Where's he going to take me? What are people going to think if I actually do the things that he's telling me to do? They would have had the same struggle that you and I have. And it's easy for us to say that we follow Jesus, yet if we aren't leaving something behind and letting him change us, if we just think that someday it will happen, then we're not actually following Jesus at all. Because the scriptures say that our response in following Jesus needs to be immediate. So, First Baptist Church, what do you need to do? What's your next step? Perhaps you're here for the first time and and you just need to join a Sunday school class. And I understand it is no small thing to come to a church for the first time. It's intimidating. There's a big building. There's people with smiling faces. You just don't know what to do. Everybody wants to shake your hand. Maybe you just need to join a Sunday school class. Maybe for you it's baptism. Maybe for the first time in your life you actually need to go public with your faith. Like you love Jesus, you've been, you've been coming for some time, you're plugged in, but you have not stood in front of the church to declare that you are following Jesus. 
Maybe it's committing to prayer. Maybe it's committing to your uh, weekly um, Bible reading plan that you guys do at First Baptist Rock Hill. Maybe it's going on a mission trip for the first time. Or maybe it's not going on a mission trip, but maybe it's going across your street to invite that neighbor who you know is disconnected to God into your home to share the message of Jesus with and to begin fishing. Or maybe it's trusting Jesus for the first time. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Jesus doesn't ask you to clean yourself up before you come to him. Regardless of what's in your past, regardless of what your current station of life is like, regardless of the ways you're going to mess up in the future, Jesus is inviting you to follow him today. And so in just a moment, we're going to continue to sing after I pray. And there's going to be some pastors down here at the front. Each of us have a next step to take in our relationship with Jesus. And Simon and Andrew got that invitation and they responded immediately. And so my encouragement to you is to respond today. Come talk to a pastor and take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we are astounded by your love. We're common people with common professions, yet you invite us to follow you and you promise to change us. And Lord, you satisfy our deepest desires. So for the person struggling today in their faith, Lord, I just pray that they would be reminded of the beautiful invitation that you've given them. Father, I pray for the person this morning who might be visiting for the first time, who is just feeling disconnected from God. Lord, I pray that right now would be the moment where they decide to follow you, to get out of their boat, to put their nets down, and to follow Jesus.